In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, I discipline my body and make it my slave. You know, we often forget, guys, that God has called us to steward the bodies he gave us so that we'll be ready, healthy, and spiritually dangerous to fight the good fight, whether it's working at your job, serving your God, protecting your bride, or being a great dad to your kids. That's why we're so excited to partner with Mountain Tough Fitness Lab. Mountain Tough Fitness Lab is run by Christian men who are passionate about training you to be your best version and to stay dangerous and ready for God. Join me on my journey by going to mountaintough.com. That's M-T-N-T-O-U-G-H and getting your free six-week trial when you type in the code ARENA30. You won't be disappointed. Stay dangerous. I just believe that men are supposed to do difficult things. I believe that men are supposed to take themselves on. I think men are supposed to wrestle with themselves. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who was actually in the arena, whose face is marked by dust and sweat and blood. Welcome to the Men in the Arena podcast, where we interview specialists in the realm of manhood. Each of our guests is an expert in their chosen field or cause as it relates to men. Our conviction is to call you into the arena of manhood, call you out of the faceless, nameless bleachers, and call you up to be the best version of you. Because when a man gets it, everyone wins. Enjoy today's episode. Men in the Arena Army, we salute you. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. I'm Jim Ramos, and guys, I am really, really excited about today's guest. At one point, the founder of the Spartan Games called him the fittest 66-year-old on the planet. Man, we are here to interview him. And I believe, guys, and you've heard me on numerous podcasts and in my book, Strong Men, Dangerous Times, we are living in an area where men are soft. By soft, I mean we're weak in so many areas. And so this guest brings a strength to an area that I think will really inspire you guys today. So hang on for the ride. You are going to have a blast. Uh, this morning when I left ha- my home, I told my wife, hey, I'm interviewing this guy. And she said, oh, great. Because usually that means I come home with new goals. So anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm excited about this. But guys, hey, before we bring Robert on, make sure you write us a review. Tell us your hero story. Guys, remember, you are in the arena and you are our hero. We want to celebrate those hero stories with you. So make sure you send those to us. And uh, we just want to lift you up and put you on display in front of the world. One of the guys we want to put on display is nameless. And uh, he said this, he wrote, hi, Jim, I'm Brazilian. And I listen to your podcast. It's been so helpful. God bless you. I'm a husband and father. And one of the most challenging things I face is to find someone to walk with me to share my struggles with, and so on. So I try to do this by the podcast sermons and the internet. You know, that guy just signed up for one of our virtual teams and he is one of our heroes. So hit us up on Instagram with your um, address so we can send you some swag. And one of the things we're doing different guys, as you know, we are going to have Dale help me produce and be a co-host on the equipping episodes. But these episodes, he's sitting behind the screen here making sure everything goes smoothly. And I'm kind of the guy today. And so I wanted to give you a couple man laws. And so guys, listen, when you give me a man law and we use it, we will shoot you some swag just to say thanks. And these are fun man laws that we're going to put in a book here in a couple of years. And so we have two man laws today. They come from two different dudes. 
And uh, they're so interrelated. I just had to include them, guys. The first one is from Billy Hagan. And Billy Hagan writes this. Man law, never choose sausage over bacon. <laughs> and then Ange Canessa. Ange Canessa, by the way, is the voice of men in the arena. So when you, when you listen to the podcast, he's the voice that you hear. And Ange said, if it's a choice between sausage and bacon, oh, take them both. So, hey, guys, thanks for sending your man laws to us today and uh, make sure you hit us up with your address we'll send you some swag so i want to bring uh my new friend robert owens on the show today let me give you a little bit of robert's bio uh he's currently 69 almost 70 years old lives in newport beach california which is where actually where he grew up with his beautiful wife sandy robert was born and raised in orange county california Uh, without having ever met his parents he was adopted by a california judge and was raised, actually raised as a special needs child who was unable to play kickball with his teammates due to corrective shoes that he was required to wear through sixth grade. Really, really interesting story, guys. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna move down a little bit. Robert actually competed and ran an Ironman marathon. Once he ran that marathon, it took 20 years off to raise his five children, never forgot his dreams and goals, and always planned to return. And on his 50th birthday, He decided it was time for a comeback. Now, since then, his list of accolades is insane. He's training for his 14th marathon. He's completed uh, so so many events. I can't even list them. I'm just going to ask him about them in the interview. But Triathlete Magazine said this, that Robert Owens is the most interesting triathlete in the world. He's done everything from plant a church in Reno that grew to a 3000 people uh, on Sundays to uh, ran 777, which is seven marathons and seven days on seven continents. He's, he's just done so many insane things. I just want him to share them with you. And I want to bring on my friend, Robert Owens, Robert, it's great to have you in the show, man. Hey, great to be here. Hi guys. Hey, I I have so many questions, but I'm just going to, start by just throwing you right into what we call our rapid fire round. Let's go in that round. I just will throw a couple key phrases or words from your book and have you explain them. And some of them, I have to confess, I don't know if I can pronounce them right. (laughs) So here we go. The first one, and this was prevalent throughout the book is called the, the 20 X principle. The 20 X principle is we believe and I, I train Air Force Special Warfare candidates and Navy SEAL candidates, a few Ranger guys. We train our kids that there are 20 times more potential in them than they've ever allowed someone to bring out of them. And the reason that it takes someone, and we would say in our Christian world, a mentor or a discipler, is because the things that are in you that need to come out will come out through pain. And most men dodge pain And therefore, they live mediocre and average lives because to go to the next level in life, it's always going to be painful because God always wants us to live outside of our comfort zone. And we love comfort and we do everything possible to stay comfortable. And yet, when you go to the next level, there's emotional pain, there's relational pain, there's social pain, there's financial pain, there's spiritual pain, there's physical pain. So when we train Navy SEAL candidates and, and Air Force pararescue guys and whoever they are, we say, we have to have to develop you where you find that pain is not a limiter. 
Pain is just a stage and it's not a deal breaker. And once you learn that being miserable won't kill you, then you make miserableness your friend. Everything on the outside can't, it'll bother you, it'll bug you, but it won't kill you. We have an ambulance right over here. We're not going to kill you, but we're going to take you beyond where you've ever been before, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, whatever it is. And then you want to pay that price because whenever you go to the next level, you have to leave your friends behind because your friends want you to stay back with them in the excuse realm of uh, leave it alone. We're fine. You're good enough. What are you trying to do? Who are you trying to be? But whenever God calls you to go to the next level, You've got to add another dimension of faith and another dimension of risk and another dimension of uncomfortableness to morph into change and to grow. And so we believe that you need a man in your life who will say, hey, suck it up, deal with it, get over it, change your diaper. How long you've been a, a bit of wuss? How long you've been full of excuses? There's so much more that God's put inside of you, but you're too lazy to let somebody deal with you and help develop you and bring it out of you. So we we believe that 20x principle is inside every man. And most men don't want to go have somebody get in their space and say, get it together. You know, it's interesting. I recently had a guy respond to me that he was offended that I called men soft. What would you what would you say to a man who would say, you should a good coach should never call you soft? Now, in your book, you say this is not a Christian book, although you're a Christian, and you start off the book with your your coaches calling you F the F bomb like crazy. So what, what, where do you, where do you infuse this, uh, kind of breaking down a guy's psyche to build it up? You know, this you're soft or you're this, how would you do that? What do you think about that? Well, again, let me put it in perspective for those of you around the world or those that are Americans. I work with special operation kids. I work with kids that want to be overachievers. And we believe that most kids, when they, when they train, they train in a positive environment. The music's going on. There's rock and roll. Somebody's saying, hey, boy, you did a good job, blah, blah, blah. We then say, what happens when you're not in a positive environment? Mm. What happens when we and our negativity come in to crush your positivity? So you oh. come into SEAL training. You come into Ranger training. You come into pararescue training. You've always been coddled. It's great. Music and stuff. We're going to change the environment that nothing during the day is going to be positive. Why? Because we don't know what you can do being surrounded by negativity all the time. And when the Taliban are chasing you or ISIS or Al Qaeda and the bombs are going off and there's blood everywhere, people are dying. That's not a positive environment. That's a tough environment. And if you have to have your rock and roll to keep you going, or you have to have somebody patting you on the back saying, "Got it, boy, you're great. You'll miss the point. The point is, can you function when all hell is breaking loose in your life? And so I pastored for 25 years. And when you have families with spinal bifida babies, uh, Down syndrome, when you have miscarriages, when you have kids dying, when, you, when you're around negativity, then we find out how your Christianity rises to the surface or that circumstance crushes you because it, it's stronger than you are in your spirit. So we, we know who you are when things are going good. But do you know who you are when things are going bad? Uh, and can you cut it when all hell is breaking loose in your life? And that's why you look at the Apostle Paul in the three missionary journeys, you know, shipwrecked, beaten, lashed, 
all the things yeah. those guys today would say, I'm out. You know, that's, I didn't sign up for that. I signed up for blessing. I signed up for peace. My prayer is being answered. And there's nothing about the apostle Paul in his journeys that said everything's going to work out. Matter of fact, it went opposite. So he praises in prison. You know, he, he does that. And Jesus gets on the cross and he goes, hey, I really don't want to do this. But that's not the point. It's not my will, but thy will be done. And he hangs on the cross and said, if this is what I got to do, God. I guess I got to do it. So let's go. And he gets on the cross and he dies for us. Now, he didn't feel good. He didn't like it. It wasn't his choice. God told him to do it. He had to submit to authority, mm. blah, blah, blah. And most guys don't want that negativity that I want to do what I want to do. Leave me alone. You know, <laughs> I want to live my life the way we want. But in the teams, you have to live in a negative environment. And those coaches say to you, I'm going to get in your head today and I'm going to crush you. And it's going to go on all day. So in my book, yeah. when they're saying you're an effing loser and you're an effing embarrassment, you're an effing joke and what the F are you doing here? And they do that every two hours on a 50 hour nonstop thing. I know that they're trying to get in my head to get me to go. I quit. You're right. <laughs> I can't do this. But they're looking at my eyes saying, you got it. Can you mm -hmm. hang in there? Yeah. Can you take our stuff? And most men aren't around other men to be able to grow and encourage each other that when stuff goes bad in your life, because it's going to happen. It's a long journey. I'm 50 years in Jesus, you know, 50 years in Jesus. That's, there's, a, there's a lot of good days. There's a lot of bad days. Yeah. And so what do you do when you get in a beef with your wife? What do you do when you have kids with broken arms and broken legs? What do you do when you can't pay your bills? What do you do when somebody bad mouths you or somebody is disloyal to you? How do you handle that stuff? And some guys do it wisely and some guys don't do it so wisely. So that's that's the 20x principle. There's 20 times more potential in every one of us, but we're not asking someone to get in our space and help us grow up. So you keep saying we, who's we? I'd say the men of the body of Christ. And that's why when you're doing your small groups, those are courageous men. So now you're because in those small, go ahead. Go ahead. In, a, in a small group with a bunch of men, you know, liars can't lie to liars. Alcoholics can't lie to alcoholics. Yeah. Drug users can't lie to drug users. And men who are honest in a group can't lie to one another because it's going to come out. Mm -hmm. And that's why many men don't want to be in a small group because they want to hide. And they don't want to have their buttons pushed. That's really good. Now, are you, are you Robert, are you attached to an organization? What's the organization that trains these aspiring SEALs and special ops guys? I work for an organization called SEAL Fit. And SEAL Fit was a CrossFit designed for incoming Navy SEAL candidates. And it was founded by Navy SEAL commander, uh, 07, Mark Devine. And Mark was the honor guy of his Navy SEAL class, or the, the guy with the award is the best guy through his class. And when he got out after 22 years as a Navy SEAL officer, the Navy said to him, hey, you know, you're a stud, you're blah, blah, blah. Will you please create an incoming program that because we're having too many kids quit, we're, yeah. we're crushing kids. Like in my class, I was Air Force Pararescue. We had 150 guys in my class. We graduated seven. Wow. And when the seven, when the seven of us were standing there at the end, we said, we're all the good guys. And we're, we're all the real studs that were here, but they had all quit. And so we, in the special ops community, 
are always looking for not only good kids, but kids that are mentally strong where we can grow them. And, and if we're going to spend millions of dollars on them, they can't stay immature punk little kids. Yeah. Cause someone's going to die. So we, we work with these groups and seal fit is all Navy seal instructors, except for me. I'm the only <laughs> non only the only paid non Navy seal instructor. And we have classes um, and we call them crucibles. We have a six hour nonstop. We have a 12 hour nonstop. We have a 24 hour nonstop. And then we have the big one, which is 50 hours nonstop. And what's that one called? And so you read in the book. That's called Kokoro. Kokoro. So you're the oldest guy to ever get through the 50 hours of Kokoro. Yeah, I wanted to do an experiment. I wanted to see if I could get as strong in my 60s as I was in my 20s when I was special ops. And so I wanted to do a personal experiment to see how seniors age and could seniors stay in the game better if they lived better, chose better, ate better, you know, and just see how seniors can be. What happens is I've done 12 Ironmans. And when I go to Ironmans, I look at the guys 55 to 60, 60 to 65, 65 to 70, because we're slotted in five year age groups. And I go to them and I say, how are you doing? And, you know, I'm, how old are you? How old are you? We talk, you know, as old guys. And they say, you know, I can push the pedal, but just not like I used to. Or I could swim. I can't pull the water the way I used to. Or I, I can run, but I'm just not as fast. And you can see the muscle tense of their skin that they're getting old. Yeah. And so you say to them, what are you going to do? And they say, I don't know. I'm just trying to stay in the game. Well, I, I said, okay, I'm going to change my training. And I'm going to see if, if I do it a different way. And so I, I went to seal fit and I said to them, hey, listen, I'm an Ironman guy, but I want to be strong again to see if I can get like I was. And so they said, come on. So I did three years of let them yell at me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and say, what are you doing here? You know, like, you're an old guy. Why don't you just go over with the old people, you know, and just, you know, do old stuff. And I said, no, I want to stay in the game. And then I said, I'm going to go to this 50 hour nonstop thing. And they said, don't, we're going to kill you. And so um, the guys that I was training with were some of the Navy SEAL instructors. And they said, you know, if you come to this thing, I mean, 21 year olds, 18 year olds, we, we crush them and you're old. And I said, that's why I'm here for three years. And during those three years, I had surgery on both shoulders because I blew them up in the training and I had surgery on both knees because it blew them up in the training. But I said, injuries come and go athletes stay in the game, stay focused. Anyway, I went to this thing, 50 hours nonstop. And um, if I'd really known, I'd never have gone. <laughs> it, was worse, it was worse than anything I could have ever imagined. Um, but they kept looking me in the eye and they say, you're a PJ. And a PJ is a pararescuman. And yeah. if you don't know what a pararescuman is, we're the guys that rescue the Rangers and the recon guys, the SEALs when they get shot. We're combat paramedics. They're on offense and we're the defensive guys on call put us in a helicopter, we'll fix the situation. Anyway, the motto of, of PJs is you would rather die than leave your man behind. And so we are, when, I, when I'm in PJ school, the instructors will say to you, you know, would you rather die than mm. quit? And so you say, yeah. And then they say, we're going to find out because we're going to make you quit today. Wow. And they do that for, they do that for 10 straight weeks. 
And so you grow. So when I'm doing this 50 hour thing, they're going, Hey, you're a PJ and PJs don't quit. Right. I go, right. And they said, today you're going to quit. And I say, bring it. And so they come and they come hard and they get in every space of your head to see if they can break that, that positivity of your mind with their negativity. And you finally go, Ugh. and we have all these people that quit and they say, why did I do that? Because you had a weak moment and you broke. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And five minutes later, they wish they hadn't quit, but we had gotten in their heads and said, okay, now's the time you're going to wish you would, you'd never shown up here. And we do whatever we do. Anyway, fortunately for me, grace of God, um, I made the whole thing and they gave me the most advanced age award <laughs> at being at, 60, at 66 years old, but was to prove that there's 20 times more potential in me at 66 than I ever thought possible. But I needed someone to get in my space and to help train me to go past those levels, mm -hmm, those mm -hmm. levels. And everybody has those levels in their life where they say, I can't, couldn't, shouldn't, or no, it's too big for me, or that dream is too big for me, or if God says that, that's too big for me. You know, if God really spoke, would the people do what he said? And half the time, people cancel it out and say, he's got the wrong guy. You know, I'm not that leader, or I'm not this or that. And God's saying, no, it is inside you. You're the person I've called. All that character just needs to be developed, and you can be and do more than you ever thought possible. And so after I got done doing that, they said, hey, you want to be a coach? You know, we, haven't, we don't have a PJ here, and we need a, a medical guy, so we'll you can be our non-Navy SEAL coach. And so I've done the last 10 classes um, yelling at students. And um, I'll give you a thing. I, I fly down to Lackland Air Force Base at times and as a senior advisor, and they embed me in the, in the dorm with 150 kids. So I'm in a bunk bed. I got 30 kids on that side and 30 kids on this side. They look at me like, what are you doing here, you know? And I go, I remember your age, you know? I remember what I thought and how I lived, blah, blah, blah. And so they say to me, um, we read online that like you were a pastor. Is that <laughs> and I go, yeah, why? And they say, um, we go to Bible study. I said, well, that's really nice. So what? And they say, we go to church. That's great. Appreciate it. Um, grew up in a Christian home. What's that have to do with being here? And they say, you don't act like a pastor. And I say, hey, listen, hey, Jesus is not here. I want you to know right now, Jesus isn't going to help you now. <laughs> We're going to crush you. You either did your push-ups, your pull-ups, your sit-ups, your mile run. You either came in in shape or you're going to be gone. And Jesus isn't going to help you because we have 10 straight weeks and you don't have 10 straight weeks of miracles. You know, you either are going to be here or you're going to be gone. And if you were really close to Jesus, we say this. You would have listened to him and you would have said, get prepared. Don't show up the way you showed up. <laughs> you read your Bible too much and didn't do your work enough. And that's why we're going we're gonna to crush you and you're gone. And they quit because they're weak. But well, they're good kids. Well, John Maxwell, who I know you used to attend his church, said, stop asking God to do what he's already asked you to do. And that's what you're that's saying. Right. You're saying, hey, don't, don't fail to do the work and expect a miracle. Well, you know, all of the stuff you're talking about goes to my next uh, rapid fire word. And that's the, the phrase dark moments. 
you explain that? In my personal life or in my athletic life or in my military life? Oh, yeah. Which, so when which, I, when, when I, dark moments in the context of your, how your mind journeys into these places where you want to throw in the towel. Oh, gosh, we all have dark minds, dark, yeah. dark moments. You know, one of the scriptures that you'll never hear preached on is taking every thought captive. It's it's wonder it's a wonderful you know sermon or it's a wonderful concept you know take every thought captive the obedience of Christ, but how do you do that, and what does that mean? And so we teach our kids and the teams that they have to go to a physical gym, but they also have to have a mind gym. And the mind gym is where you go rewire your mind to think the right thoughts versus the thoughts that your family gave you or the way you feel that day, or what you feel like when you get out of bed, so that we teach these kids, and we, we say, let's go to the mind gym today. We do meditation. If you're, if you're a Christian, you probably meditate on scriptures. They meditate on positive things. And so what we do is we say, we need you to begin to observe how you think. You've got to pull yourself outside of yourself into what we call the witness and then watch your mind all day long with the trafficking of thoughts going through your brain. Those thoughts are not your thoughts. They're just thoughts going through your brain. Some of them take residence in your brain and live there, like what your father said that hurt you when you were young, or your mother said, or what a coach said, or your insecurity, or somebody says you're ugly or fat or old or unable or not gifted enough or whatever it is. Those thoughts are not your thoughts, but they're somebody else's thoughts that have let, um, planted themselves in your brain and have grown a tree. And they live there. Mm. And they come talk to you all the time. It's not reality. It's the reality of someone else living their thoughts in your head. Like when you talk to people, there are a lot of guys whose dads were not good dads. And so their dads are dead and in the grave, but they're still thinking the same condemning thoughts that their father spoke to them in their teens that yeah. are guiding their life today. Yep. And so those thoughts live there and put limits on us because of what someone said. Well, we have to say what thoughts are living in your brain because most of them are wrong. We have to rewire through neuroplasticity, rewire your mind to think the positive, we would say faith, hope, and love versus the negative fear, doubt, and unbelief. Mm. And so we then say, how much fear, doubt, and unbelief is in your head living there that you read the scripture and it says, don't think these thoughts, you know, get rid of these thoughts, fear not, all that stuff, but they live there every day. And you have let them live there and you haven't taken authority over your thought life and rewired your thoughts to the body of Christ, to the word, or to just being positive. And so we then teach kids how to break the negative dialogue that's in their brain every day. And we're going to tell them today, we're going to take you through five negative moments. And we're going to give you a chance then to reboot your mind to not believe the negative that we're bringing, that you can then train yourself to bring the positive against our negativity. And therefore, if you're a Christian, whenever those negative things come, you take the word and you wash your mind in the word. And all of a sudden, that word is more authoritative to your head. Than the, than the circumstances of negativity coming on you from the outside. Mm. So every day we teach Navy SEAL kids, Army Ranger kids, when you're sliding down that rope and into a firefight and your heart rate jacks up 
and your adrenaline begins to rush, all your training goes out the window. <laughs> you can't shoot a gun, all that stuff. And so we teach them how to take control of their mind, relax, begin their mantra of the positive things, deep briefly lower their heart rate, take in the situation and regroup. And we have to have them do that within five to 10 seconds mm-hmm. because it's boom, 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 stuff going on. And if you spend millions of dollars on a kid's training, but they can't think right because the pressure is too big and it crushes their training, what are you going to do? So we yep. say, we're going to bring pressure on you. We're going to do it quick. We're going to give you a chance to think the thoughts, move them out, put your thoughts, put your training in, take control, breathe, deep nasal breathing, this whole thing, box breathing and stuff, and then get yourself back into a leadership position versus an emotional position. So that you was like my, that. I, that I, I, I do love that because my next word was box breathing. I wanted you to explain box breathing. Um, box breathing. Most people are mouth breathers. And it's about this shallow. If you want to, if you want to have better oxygen, a better O2, it's nasal breathing. And you open up your chest and you'll find that there's layers upon layers of cavity of unused lung space. So when you're a deep diver, you do deep dive world records. What you'll do is it's like blowing up a water bottle. It goes, if the guys remember what a water bottle is, gets really big and you go, wow. And then it finally pops. Well, inside of our cavity here are these pockets where you go, And you can fill up your cavity with so much air that when they say, now let out slowly, you may have only been able to hold your breath for 15 to 20 seconds prior to that, but now you can hold your breath for a minute because it's like letting air out go. And it just goes out because it's filled. The water bottle is squeezing out all that air. Box breathing is where then we work on changing the mindset of your head, the negative dialogue by breathing. What you do is you, let's say, you can do boxes or rectangles. You inhale for, and I'll do it with you right now. Ready? I want you to inhale, inhale for four seconds. Then we're going to hold for four seconds. Then we're going to release for four seconds. Then we're going to hold for four seconds. Ready? Go. One, two, three, four. Inhale. Hold. Exhale. Four. Let's go to five. Watch my finger. Hold. Exhale. Hold. Now, what you're doing is concentrating on your breathing, right? Yes. What that means is that there's no other thought wave that can go through your brain. You can't think two thoughts at the same time. So when you go into your deep breathing, you're triggering yourself. Oh, I want to change a thinking pattern and get back to where I want to be because I can't think a positive and a negative thought at the same time. So we say to them, when all that negativity is going on around you on the freeway, with your wife, with your kids, with your employer, employees, you take a time out for me, I hit my legs. And I open up 
and I go, and my goal is to get to tens, 10, 10, 10, 10. And it takes so much work that I can't think anything. And when I'm finally done with that exercise, I know that I've rebooted my mind to now start thinking the things that I want to think versus the things that were troubling me or overwhelming me. So you break the negative dialogue in your head by using breathing because it's a deep work that you only do when you do it intentionally. You don't do it just every day because you're a mouth breather. Animals are mouth breathers. Tongue going, when are they going to stop doing that? When it finally ends. But a, but a, a person like us, a human, we should have control over our breathing. And our breathing we teach our kids in the, in the teams controls your emotions. That's so, it controls that's, your emotions and your mind. So boxes, inhale, hold, exhale, hold. Is that what you said? Correct. Okay. Yes. It's inhale and you can do rectangles. You can do boxes. So let's, let me, let me give you a thought. I, I don't have a lot of fears, but I got hit by a car training for an Ironman. I got hit head on, but got all busted up. So all of a sudden I had to do a bunch of MRIs and I don't have a problem until I start doing a lot of MRIs and I do MRIs like for 30 minutes, 40 minutes, hips, back, everything. I don't like that tube. And I began to say, I don't want to go back in that tube. I mean, I've been mm. there for three hours, you know, over yeah. two days. I mean, I don't like the tube. The rock and roll is nice, but that, that, the top that's just hitting my nose, you know, I feel claustrophobic. Yep. So this, so this last time, tore up my shoulder they said okay more mris and i went oh crap i don't like mris and i don't like to confess like mris i'm strong enough i can handle anything right but yeah. i'm inside i'm going uh, i don't want to do this tube again you know so the guy sits me down you know puts the pillow under my head and i'm going oh and i feel anxiety coming. i feel tension i feel the sweat uh, i don't want to do another 30 minutes in this tube and so he starts to slide me in i go stop pull me up and I get on the side of the bed four months ago and I go, give me a moment. And I start doing it fives, sixes, hard ones. It's hard. So when I get done with that, he goes, you box breathing? I go, yeah. I said, I got to get cold in my mind. At the end of that easy day, fun day. Thank you, Jesus. No problem. I don't have a spirit of fear, love, power, sound mind. I thank you, God, for what you're doing. You're, you're with me in this thing. Take control. Speak my thoughts over my brain versus the negative thoughts that are in my brain competing. Put me back in the tube. You put me back in the tube. I begin to do my box breathing. Why? Because I can't think negativity if I'm focusing on my inner man. Yep, yep. I block it out. And so all of a sudden that fear dissipates and all of a sudden I'm doing 30 minutes, 40 minutes, piece of cake. And they say, you have to come back tomorrow and do another one. I go piece of cake, get back next day. So the spread. Why? Cause I'm stopping the negativity and I'm changing it with my thoughts that I want to think and the, and the truth that I know inside of me, this is not going to kill me. Get yeah. over it. And so when we have, and when men, I mean, I had five kids. I've had broken legs, broken hips, broken arms. I couldn't pay for the first baby, lived by faith. I couldn't pay for the second baby, lived by faith. Couldn't pay for the third baby, 
live by faith. You know, there's pressure. I'm, I'm, I'm pastoring a people that have problems. One lady has five miscarriages. You know, I'm, what do I do, pastor? Where's Jesus in all this? You know, I have kids dying. I, I did probably 15 teen suicides over the 25 years and drug overdoses and just crap. You know, like uh, they don't in theology school, they didn't give you a, a course on how to handle yeah. this stuff. You just go yeah. in there, and give it your best shot. When I, when I get in this position, I have to say to myself, I know this book. I know this word of God. Why don't I live it? Why is it more a part of my life? It's like it's good to clap and go vertical and praise the Lord, all kind of stuff. But when the rubber hits the road, I get overwhelmed. And so we work really hard for these kids in special ops. You cannot get overwhelmed. Your team's going to die. You've got to take control of your brain and think the things that we programmed you for so you can stay in the game. And most Christian guys, they do whatever they feel. How do I feel today? Yeah. And we would say, who gives a rip? Get your act together. No, how do you feel today? I don't care how you feel today. Do what's right. Do what you know you need to do. Be a man. Stand up. But you don't understand the pressure. I don't care about the pressure. Get your act together and do the word that you so confidently confess. Now, now here's a chance to use it and to stand up under the pressure and become a man and develop your character. And most Christian men, and I, I say this because I, I work with non-Christian men. I work with Christian men. Most Christian men are weak. They're weak mentally. They're weak emotionally. They're, they're weak in their character because when the crisis comes, they look to their friends, huh, what do I do? Or I don't know what to do versus this is my moment. This is my moment to be the man and to be the man and make the right decisions and lead. I believe that the man's job is to lead and protect. Lead yeah. and protect. And you can't lead if you're a wuss. And you can't lead if you're always crumbling to the financial, relational, social pressures, which needs a man to lead. And you can't stand with honor and courage and protect if you don't have it in your character. And so most men are immature. Why? Because they live by their emotions. How do I feel? And that will never give them the character response that they need. They need to have the response of, I don't care what's going on. Do this now and for as long as you need to do it. Stand and having done everything to stand, stand. And so that comes with practice. And for me, my story is I was a punk. You know, I got saved at 20 and I was just a punk. I was an irresponsible kid, you know, mm -hmm. and I got saved. And I knew I was a mess. I knew I've been to college four times already. I'd quit yeah. and go surfing and quit and go skiing and do all kinds of stuff, you know, no purpose. And when I got saved, the Lord said, I want to grow you up. And I sort of like, like, what are you going to do to me? He said, I want to grow you up. And I go, I think this is going to be painful. And I got the Bible studies. You guys are going to push my buttons. I go, Oh, I don't like them asking these questions. You know, this is not good. And these pararescue guys came to me and said, Hey Owens, you want to grow up? come in the military, come with us. And I go, I don't have the goods. You know, I don't think I have the character. I don't have the, 
quality content. I, I don't think I'm special ops material. That's why the book is called Beyond Average. I yeah. was mediocre and I was average. And I was a survivor of myself. And when they said, do what we say, and I did what they said, you know, they said, go dark. No, no girls, no weed, no booze, no parties. You go dark and you just train. We want to see the calluses on your hands. And we're going to tell you if you're going to make it or not. So that when I went, I'm scared to death. And I'm a Christian. I had to dodge the draft for Vietnam. And the Lord said, you dodge two, you owe me four, make it right, go in. Whatever you're saying, get out. I'm the Lord saying, you need structure in your life. You need to grow up and bite the bullet. That's somebody put a bit in your mouth and ride you, break you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. so I, I went in knowing that I had to change my life. And these guys got a hold of me and began to go boom, boom, boom on my hair. And just began to, we don't care about your excuses. We don't care how you feel. Do it. Get it together, you know? And after surviving that, it's sad that I had to grow up as a Christian in Pharaoh's army. But I knew that the church couldn't deal with me the way they should deal with me because the church was soft. How do you feel today, you guys? Are you committed? Well, if you don't, we forgive you. You know, you're not committed. Oh, well, it's okay. Just come back when you can. You know, you know, do you, you love God? Well, then, then okay, you made a mistake. They're just soft. And men need men to deal with men. Love so I so I have a question for you. So because I, I agree with you 100 uh, percent. The guys that listen to the show, I say those things all the time. You know, when I call or consider myself or other men soft, I'm basing it in part on Luke 2.52, where it says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. So mentally, physically, spiritually, socially. Can you speak to the compartmentalization of men? Because I, I do agree with you that most Christian men, Teddy Roosevelt said this in the at the turn of the 19th, 18th, 19th century, sure. that most Christian men he found were soft. There is another element, though, with men who are physically not soft, who tend to be spiritually soft. And we see this in failures of marriage and children who are wayward. And so there is a compartmentalization. So how would you address those guys who physically are not soft? Because you work with some of the toughest guys on the planet who spiritually or socially are extremely soft. You know, you see everything yeah. everywhere. Yep. I'll just, I'll just give you a, a one-liner, and that is usually the guys with the biggest muscles are the most insecure men out there. Ah, yeah. And their manhood is in their muscles because they don't have manhood in their character. Mm. And so they, they hide their insecurity by their big muscles, which they hope gets uh, approval from other men. Ah. We, we do it this way. On a coin, on the coin, there's heads and tails. And we say... To the degree that you see the bling on guys, cars, muscles, chicks, whatever it is, to the degree that's piled on, turn it over, and that's the depth of their insecurity. Oh, okay. I like that. Because they're hiding. Yeah, totally. They want to be what they're not. So when you go to Las Vegas, you see all these guys with their gold chains and their cars and their chicks and stuff. And Usually they're the most insecure guys because they have to have something on them to give them value and yeah. credibility. Yeah. They don't have it. When a man of God comes into a room, wisdom, stature, what does a guy of stature look like? Mm -hmm. When a man of stature walks into a room, like I was with Dr. Cole for 20 years, you know? Oh, yeah. And when, Dr., when Dr. Cole would walk into a room, everybody just stopped talking and they just sort of turned 
and the man had just walked in the room. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, was, there was deference. There was respect. And when I would teach that, Luke 2.42 and Luke 2.40, when you teach that wisdom, men should be growing in their wisdom and they should be developing their stature, not because they're doing it, it's because their character is in such a way that, that it just leaks that they have something that other men don't have. Uh-huh. And it should bring the favor with other men and it should be being favored with God. And so I find that, that many men are weak, not because they're trying to be weak, but because they just haven't been developed and they haven't bit the bullet and said, develop me. Exactly. Develop me, grow me, help me grow up. And so um, it's so much fun to see guys in a small group where each one says, these are the three weaknesses in my life and I need help with it. And they're all in the group and say, what's your three? There's some strengths, but what's your three weaknesses? Now, mm. in this group, how are you going to let us hold you accountable to growing in that? Like for me, I went to theology school. I'd never tithed in my life. And so when I church planted, I said, what am I going to do? And my <laughs> pastor said, are you going to tithe? And I go, I never had enough money to tithe. So I guess I will. And so I said, but I don't know. I mean, I don't have any money. And the money I do have, I need for food. And the money I need for rent. I'm a church. I'm a broke church planter. You know, I don't have any. So I went to the people I was with. I said, I've never tithed before. And I need to do it because I can't develop my faith unless I bite the bullet and face it. Yep. So I said, you can do what you want to do. But for me, I can't lead if I don't do it. Follow me as I follow Christ. So exactly. I'm going to enter the experiment of I'm going to hang it up. I'm going to face the pressure of what happens. My wife says, we don't have enough money to tithe. I said, we don't have enough money to tithe, not to tithe. We don't have enough money, period. <laughs> we have nothing to lose. So we start tithing. And every Sunday morning, I'd say to the folks, I'm tithing. Why? Because I have to develop my faith. Yep. I have to God. I can't preach this stuff if I can't trust you. And so I begin to say, hey, I'm, here's my tithe check, you know. And here's my money. And at that time, I was selling cars. I was, I was selling cars for a living as a church planter, you know. And so here's my check, you know, and here's my deal. And more, one by one, I drew people that wanted to grow their faith too. And all of a sudden, I found myself growing because I faced the risk of failure or faced the risk of it wasn't going to work. And I began to grow. Well, all of us have to throw something in the ring and say, I'm not good at this. And God wants me to live like this. And this is what I'm going to ask for me to develop and grow and, and mature. And most guys want to act like they have it together and don't want to share their weaknesses, don't want to be vulnerable, don't want to be open. And therefore, they stay mundane, mediocre, average, and they go to church, say, praise the Lord, but it doesn't work for them much. I hear, yeah, I, I, yeah, and I think that's why Christian men are dropping out of churches like flies. And so, so I, want to, I want to go back and highlight a couple things because I do, I don't want to neglect this. It's really important for our conversation. So you've, I thought you were training for your 14th, but you've done 12 Ironman and you're training for your 13th Ironman, right? I failed on my last 13th. I didn't make it. Okay. Okay. So you've done 12 Ironman. You I didn't make the 13th. Okay. And I'm going back to try to do the 13th now. Copy that. And then you completed the 777 which is seven marathons on seven continents in seven guys. Listen, consecutive days. It's unbelievable. When you read this, 
You also went through Kokoro. You went through the five. You took, you decided to do uh, the five events. You've done some amazing things. And I want to go back to page 69 in your book because you said this, and I thought this was really important. You said, why are you doing something is so important. Our why has to be unshakable. You must be willing to forsake everything to attain your why. Otherwise, you will find a way to quit. So, so Robert, what's your why and how do you articulate this to men? You know, um, there's many phases of the why. Why marriage? Why money? Why character? Why athletic achievements? Why another degree? Um, but it's just scripture. You know, forsaking all things. I press for the mark. And when you press for the mark, you have to figure out what's that mark going to cost you when you're pressing. And I learned a long time ago in my early 20s from church and from special ops, I have to have a why that's so unshakable that I'd rather die than quit. I'd rather die than fail. And so my why is unshakable because you can do whatever you want to me, but I'm not going to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find a way to win. And most men don't have that kind of a why in their life. They want an escape valve or some reason that gives them a foul out card like, okay, you got me, I'm out. But if you say, I want to be a man of God at all costs, and then you say at all costs, well, list the costs for me. And you list everything that's going to cost you to become that man of God. A lot of guys say, ooh, can I just do seven out of 10? (laughs) And so... You've got to know why you want to do what you want to do, and you're willing to pay the price to get that. And the people that do great things have a why, like an Olympian, that's unshakable. You know, you train and you do your your four years and you get the Olympics, you get a fifth place, you come back for another four years. And you'd say, God, the guy's a little narcissistic, don't you think? I mean, he's just so focused on himself. But when you have a why that's unshakable, you, you count the cost, as Paul says. And then you do what you got to do, whatever it takes, to, to deal with it. Now, here's one that you won't hear preached on. When Jesus says, Matthew, you know, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. If your hand offends you, cut it off, right? Mm-hmm. He says, there's something about how, how, to what degree are you willing to go to deal with the thing? And that's called the principle of severity. And he teaches the principle of severity not to pluck your eye out. He's saying to you, are you willing to do whatever it takes to not fall into that area again? And most guys say, I don't want to drink, or I don't want to smoke, or I don't want to do porn, or I don't want to do this, or whatever the thing may be. But to what degree do you want not want to do it? And so the principle of severity is when you're an alcoholic, you just don't cut the hand off. You go, oh, I, don't, I like this hand. I'll just put it in my pocket and not use it for a while. And then a year or two later, you hey, there's that hand again. Jesus goes, I thought you cut it off. No, I just buried it for a while. You know, didn't yeah. use it. Nobody sees it. He said, I thought you dealt with that, or I thought you dealt with that. Did you deal with it? <laughs> and are you continuing to deal with it? And if you made it where I'm going to deal with it and deal with it and deal with it the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. And the principle of severity is most men don't want to deal severely with themselves. They have excuses. And when you get yeah. into a small group, you can only say to a guy, yeah, I did it again. 
Yeah, I did it again. Sorry. Yeah, I did it again. And the group's going to go, what the hell? What are you, what are you doing, dude? I thought you, you know, you're in here and then you, you keep doing this stuff and lapsing back. And he goes, cut them off. Deal with them. Not literally. Whatever you got to do, go into rehab, ask your wife for forgiveness, whatever it takes, deal with it. But you're a loser because you keep skirting the hard thing that's placed in your life. And all men have hard things in their lives that either you deal with them or they'll deal with you. So So yeah, you, you actually wrote in your book, you said, when your why isn't strong enough or when your why wavers, a voice inside of us all says, be realistic, relax. When you listen to those voices, your world stays small. So that's that, that I really do I like that a lot. And you, you talk about paying the price and not cutting corners. And earlier in the podcast, you said something I thought was really cool and worth going to because everything that you've done and accomplished physically has one thing in common, pain. <laughs> they, they hurt. And you said pain is not a limiter. Can you explain that to these guys? Because I think you're right. I think that we are addicted to comfort in this world. And when you say pain is not a limiter, how would you speak to a guy who's struggling with being comfortable in every aspect of his life? Or the guy who runs into the same pain and gets overwhelmed by that pain each time. Oh, So so, uh, when I did my first Ironman back in 1980 in Honolulu, I passed out in the marathon course. And um, it was a really hot day. I'm laying in this guy's driveway and I'm doing the the flop where your head's going, get control of your body. And my body's not responding at all. And um, I thought, and I, I was out, I passed out. And when I came to, I thought, wow, this is a trip. And this is, it, I've never been like this quite before. And so the guys gave me some Gatorade, blah, blah, blah. I stood up and finished the Ironman. And the point was you hear about guys hitting the wall. You're running like a marathon, you hit the wall. And when you hit the wall, like we had our U.S. Olympian in London, he got to like mile 23 and he just sat down on the curb and quit. And like, how do you, we trained all those months and you get to this thing and you hit the wall and you just quit. And he just put his head between his legs and said, I'm done, I'm cooked. Wait a minute, you got three miles to go. You've trained for all these years. I'm cooked. Mental breakout. breakout. Yeah. There's, there's something about learning that once that pain comes, it's not a limiter. It's just a moment. And if you'll reboot your mind, breathe, get your thoughts back where you want, get your dialogue going, reboot it. You'll find that within five or 10 minutes, you don't feel as bad as you did when you were ready to quit. And so we work really hard on hitting those walls and then say, how do you feel? And then take a break. And let me, let me take you through that wall and teach you that there's another you still inside of you that could go further. There was a gal, there's, there's a book out called How Bad Do You Want It by Matt Fitzgerald. It's a study of guys who have failed and then come back, Tour de France, Ironman, Olympians, come back. And the point being that there was a girl and she was a bicycle gal and she was hot national champion. And she kept collapsing, though, in altitude races. Hmm. So she quit and moved to the Alps. And she hired a coach in the Alps to take her up and down the Alps to hit that pain spot that she was never, never able to get through in the U.S. And she stayed a year. And every week he took her to that place where she quit in the 
in the United States. He said, breathe, do this right, and took her through that door. She learned that was not the, the, the end. It was just a moment, mental breakdown, because there's two kinds of pain. There's mental pain and physical pain. Anyway, all that. She came back to the United States and won everything because he had taken her through those break points over and over again. She hired someone to take her through pain. Well, when we're in the church today, we all have pain areas, but if you hired a mentor who's strong in that area to help you get through the place that seems so overwhelming to you with finances or with kids, like I had three mentors as a senior pastor. I went to three guys in my church and said, hey, you have really good kids. I don't have a clue how to do this. I got five. They're, they're going crazy <laughs> as PK kids, you know. Can you help me with my kids? I had to humble myself. He said, sure. Read some Dobson books and all this kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> We'll do this study. I'll help you work with the kids. And I went to another guy and said, hey, listen, my dad never taught me about money. You make money like it's just growing on grass or something. Will you show me how to make money? He said, yeah, read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, come back and then do these other things. And all of a sudden, oh, this is investments. And he showed me how to make money. Another guy I went to said, I don't know if I'm a very good husband. I mean, like, I'm probably insensitive. And I'm probably blah, blah, blah. I'm a type A, I'm a driver, you know, all this stuff. So he began to counsel me in my marriage stuff. And all those were pain levels that I went to somebody who was an expert or better than me and said, I need help. I'm the pastor. <laughs> I need help because yeah. I, I never heard my mom and dad argue. So I don't know how to argue. You know, I don't know how to have it's either all or nothing. You know, <laughs> Be quiet or I'll kill you. <laughs> you know, it's just like, I don't know how to have an argument that's sane. And so in each one of these areas, I had a pain I had to face. The pain was a failure. Pain was a discouragement. It was, I don't know, I, think, I don't think I can do this. How do I do this? And when I did that, I was able to navigate with somebody who's, it was their gift, right? Some people have gifts and stronger gifts than other gifts. And you go and you say, I need help. And strong people can ask for help. Weak people cannot ask for help because they're too insecure. That is a critical point to, for our guys to understand that. If you are unwilling to seek help, you are weak not strong. So one of the other things I want to bring out is we have this concept and I, I, I brought it. I said, Hey, Luke two fifty two, Jesus grew in these areas. I want to be careful to not say that we as humans live this balanced life or the balanced life should be the goal, because I think that we're constantly adjusting for areas that are not in balance and we have to get out of balance to achieve balance. And you said this in your book, which I thought was very powerful. You said, Balanced people don't usually do great things, which is true. Unbalanced people do great things and legendary things. After they have accomplished it, the balanced people clap for them and ask them to come speak on their TV programs or podcasts. Then you said, then unbalanced person can go back, bring balance into their life and tell their story. You've got to learn to pay a price to break out of your rut to become great at something. You can't be balanced. And this is the key thing all the time. And I thought that was a very powerful statement, Robert, because you can't be balanced all the time. Your life demands focus in certain areas. Can you talk us through that? Um, there are moments in your life when the Lord says, do this or grow or become 
or embrace. And you know that God's going to require something of you for a season of your life that's going to be intense. What I learned over failure times was I didn't always get a sign off from my wife that I'm going into an unbalanced time. Ah. And she'd say, she'd say, what are you doing? Well, God said this. Well, why don't you talk to me about it? Or where do I fit in this? Or something. And so when you know that you're moving into an unbalanced time of your life for six months or a year, you've got to get sign off by your significant relationships to give them notice. Hey, you guys, I just want you to know I'm going dark. Mm. I'm going to go back. I'm going to work on a master's degree at night. Or I'm like my son right now is in airline school and airline pilot school. And he has to leave his wife for six weeks and move to Denver and do jets for six weeks with a wife and a newborn. And he had to say to her, you know, for me to go to the next level, get hired by Southwest or American, I've got to go through the six week school. It's 12 hours a day and study time. I don't have time to be with you. Do you mind? Will you sign off with me that you're for me versus hating me because I've just abandoned you. I've just left you because I'm doing my dream and you're stuck alone. And so there's a time when God says to you, you got to really embrace this. However, be sensitive. Don't be a narcissist. Go to the people around you and say, this is what I'm hoping to do, want to do. Will you guys either pray for me or stand with me or agree with me during this season of time that I need to get that doctorate or I need to get that second job or I need to do this or that so they don't resent you when you're doing what you think God's told you to do. And I learned that, you know, when I had the five kids, I stopped doing Ironmans because I felt like, you know, I need to spend time with my kids. I'm not going to golf. I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to love my kids on Saturdays, be around. When I said I'm going to do an Ironman, I went to each of the five kids and my wife. And I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to change. And I'm going to do workouts two to three times a day. And I'm going to put myself in this position. And you're going to go, where's dad? But you're going to be at the finish line when I come. So would you pray for me and help me as I embark upon this adventure? And they all said, sure. Now we know why you're not here anymore. Or you're not doing this or that. Yeah. And I got signed up. I didn't get beat up emotionally because I was relationally insensitive. So I believe that there are always times when God will say to a man or a woman, this is a moment. This is a moment. Now, this is going to cost you. Figure it out. Get, a, get your relationship squared away and then get your why squared away and hit it, become excellent. When it's over, thank you very much. And you can go back now. Kids, thank you so much. And do all that kind of stuff. But there are these times when the Lord says, grow up you know, or deal or do what you got to do or live a sacrificial life or pay the price. And we're so, so entangled with stuff that we make mistakes on how we try to do what we think God's called us to do. And it causes damage, you know, then you hear about the rest of your life. Yeah, for sure. Well, Hey, is that, Robert, is that okay? No, that's really good. Cause I think it's important because I think there is this concept that we want to be balanced human beings, but we actually have to go unbalanced if we're going to achieve great things in certain areas. I mean, for me, I take July off every month or every year and I write a book and I go completely dark and I get unbalanced and my people know it. And I think that's how we've been able to publish. We're, we're getting ready to publish. I think our 12th book is because that unbalanced or on a fitness scale to do what you did. You can't do that. Live in a balanced life. You've got to get unbalanced. Right. And so I think if it's a perpetual it's very, very dangerous. If it's seasonal 
and your people know. I think that's a, a healthy and strong and, and a great thing. I do want to ask you this question. It's been, it's been driving me crazy uh, because we're trying to really focus on our guys who are in the arena. Uh, but but you've done some amazing things, and we haven't dove too deep into that, and we're really running out of time. But of all of the things you've done physically, I'm trying to guess what the single hardest one was. Can I take a guess at it? Sure. I think it was the 777 marathon. But or what is it called? The 777 World Marathon Challenge. World Marathon Challenge. That's what to me when I look at that, I'm like, there's no way any human can do it, let alone a guy who's 66. So to me, that looks like the most difficult challenge that you conquered. Uh, what what was it for you? Honestly, there's a twist with the you you pick up on. There's two types of athletes. There are aerobic athletes and there are anaerobic athletes. Oh, I picked and up on the, that. Yeah. And so aerobic is a golfer or a guy that does a marathon. His heart is always just sort of even. He has to do it a long time. That's aerobic. An anaerobic guy is a 100-yard dash guy or a guy doing wall balls or box jumps or running stairs all the time where you just spike your heart. And then you spike your heart, then you spike your heart, then you spike your heart. For me, I've learned that I can go a long time if I just keep my heart rate in a certain place. But that spiking of the heart over and over for 50 straight hours, uh-huh. where, where Kokoro, they have you run, and then they have you run hills, 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 hills. Then they have you run it off. Then you do hills, 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 and then you run it off. Then you go in the ocean and come back out and you run stairs, 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 like you know, maybe stairs, 40 stairs high, 40 stairs, maybe. And you do that in sets of 10. Sleep surprise. You do 10 and then 10 and then 10 and then 10. And then they have you run down the beach and they have you do 10, you know, and you just go, I think I'm going to die. So the anaerobic thing is always for me, the hardest thing because, because spiking my heart is spiking. My heart is just hard over and over again. Like running 50, 100 yard dashes in a row. It's just like, help me, Jesus, you know? Oh, man. If you have me run around the track 50 times, that's one thing, but do 100 yard dashes. So the hardest thing for me always will be the anaerobic, and it was Kokoro. Now, 777 was a mental trip. And again, um, I had no idea what was in seven marathons. So when I got to Antarctica, you know, it looked pretty good. The Steelers were playing that Sunday and they had 20 degree weather and the guys didn't have shirts on, you know, that they played 20 degree on like the Browns and Steelers on, you know, but when I got to 20 above weather, I went, all right, I can do this. But then the weather changed and it went to 20 below and it went to 20 below with a 50 mile an hour headwind. And all of a sudden the clouds and you can't see the people's feet or you can't see anything from the knees down because the snow's blowing sideways like the Gobi desert, you know, you're just running and this plowing and this 20 below thing in your face, your hands are gone. And, um, you know, okay, that's an adventure. But then you get off the plane, you fly back to Cape Town, and it was 90 above. And 90 above, your feet swole. And all of a sudden, you had your feet in these shoes. Unfortunately, since I did the first one, the grease one, I brought four sets of shoes, you know. And I knew that I was going to have the swelling thing. But you'd watch these guys, their feet were just bleeding because they were just just swollen in those shoes and you run 90 above and you go, that's nuts. And you have to do both of them within the first 24 hours. So you run two marathons within the first 24 hours. They don't tell you that when you sign up. Oh, you know? 
They just say you're running seven marathons, but we had to run two in the first day. Oh, whoa. And, and no shower, no shower, no anything. Get off the plane. Whenever you land, you just start running. So that's interesting. And then in the 7-7, we then flew to Perth, Australia. And that was a nice 12-hour flight. The challenge was you always run when you land, day or night. So we started our marathon about 8 o'clock at night in Perth on a hot night and got done around 2, 3 in the morning. And so it was an all-night dark marathon where you're by yourself in the dark. You didn't oh. talk to anybody. You didn't see anybody. You're just in the dark. And that's a trip being by yourself in the dark, already being tired from two marathons. In the first day, your second day, you're doing an all-night one. And then the third one, you go to Dubai, and you, you start running at 10 o'clock at night again. You get done about three in the morning or so. And then the fourth one, you go over to Lisbon, and now it's wintertime up there. It's summertime in the south for Antarctica. And it was raining and all that. It was cold, and you're wrapped up, and you're wet, and you're running in Lisbon at night till two in the morning on cobblestones and stuff <laughs> and you're crapping in your pants you know and as in the book you know you're just you're just your body's wigging out you know like what are you doing to me you survive that and of course there's nobody there cheering for you and when you finish the finish line there's nobody there so you, you go good job robert thank you very much you do good well, I appreciate you talk to yourself because there's nobody there to say that a boy wow. <laughs> and then they say yeah you're gonna be picked up in an hour and a half go shower repack your stuff get on playing for cartagena columbia and you're back in Honolulu, whether it's hot and muggy and you get down there and you're, you're running and potholes and stuff, you know, and you run till two in the morning there. And then you get done and the guys don't even go to bed because they're so tired. They don't care. They just sit in the lobby and they go down and you fly two hours and run another one in Miami. And you go, it's not just seven marathons. It's like there's a lot of headspace. Oh. <laughs> there's a lot of weird weirdness in there. And it was to keep control of your mind. So. Um, like I said in the book, you know, I had, I wouldn't let myself think on certain things for the first two hours, but at the end of that, I would reward myself with allow myself to write a speech in my head, which would take an hour and a half or something, you know, and find wow. some way to go through the time. Anyway, so 777 seven, seven was interesting, but it was all to say there's 20 times more potential in all of us, but it's all wrapped up in pain. <laughs> That's really good. Want to have that kind of pain. That is really, really good. Well, hey, man, we are out of time, Robert. But before we do, I want to ask you two more little questions real quick. How do we get a hold of your book, Beyond Average? I, I got your book. I read your book. But how do our listeners get a hold of it? You just go to Amazon and you go. You can pick it up or you can go to my website for the audiobook. And the website is roberthamiltonowens.com. And the reason I'm not on Audible is because Audible only allows you to read your book. And I didn't want to read my book with that. I wanted to read in all the stuff that the editor wouldn't let me put in it. <laughs> ah, so yeah. I read, read the book and I said, but this is what's not in the book. <laughs> I tell these stories, you know, and Audible wouldn't allow you to go off script. So if you go to my website, I have an audio book there that you can get with the, the extra 20%. That was a lot of fun to tell people what really happened, you know. So you just recorded it on Robert your own. You just recorded I that went, on your I went, own. I went, I went to a studio. And a guy recorded me, you know, and, and oh, anyway, I, I lived it. a bunch of it. I love it. I love it. And so the last thing I want to say is this. In your book, you said this, and this is what I want to end with. You said, it's never too late to start training. In fact, why not start today, then chip away at it daily with micro goals and an unbeatable mind. You will be well on your way in just a short time. 
I love that quote, Robert, and I want to encourage our guys. Guys, let's get our boots on the ground today. I want to encourage you to set physical goals. And if you're a guy who's been living in the comforts of your couch and not doing anything physical, I want to beg you to do your body a favor and begin inflicting pain on your body so that you can become your best version. Anything you want to say about that last quote there, Robert, in closing? I just believe that men are supposed to do difficult things. I believe that men are supposed to take themselves on. I think men are supposed to wrestle with themselves. I don't think that we ever come into what we're destined to do by just taking the easy road. Yep. And so I believe that every day you should wrestle with yourself and take yourself on in some area of your life and get a win. And what I counsel and encourage people to do is I say to them, did you get your win today? And the win is something that was difficult and hard that they didn't want to do. And they did it anyway. And they have this, this win, this confidence in their lives where they go, it wasn't that bad. I got through it. It didn't kill me. And so I want to encourage the men out there that, that you can grow your manhood, read the word, confess the word, memorize the word, walk the word, and don't be afraid of the difficult tasks that you're going to have to grow in. And just embrace them and say, I'm going to find mentors. I'm going to ask for help. I'm going to walk in humility. And I'm going to become the man of God that my wife and my kids hope I will become. You, you can still be the hero to your family. You know, you don't have to live that kind of life where they go, well, that's my dad. And uh, <laughs> you, can, you can do that. But, you, but winners hang with winners. And losers hang with losers. And excuse-minded people hang out with other excuse-minded people. And I, I just encourage the men to bite the bullet do what they got to do, suck it up and grow, and then enjoy the fruit of Christ likeness and growth because you see yourself changing and you go, wow, I did. I really changed. So that's all. All right. Hey, I appreciate Robert, you coming on the show, man. Thank you so much. And I'm going to close with some slogans from your book that, you, that really helped you and drove you guys. Number one, some people just dream empty dreams and envy others. Winners risk and dare. Number two, go big or go home. That's written in my garage gym. Number three, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Number four, live safe and be like everyone else or risk and maybe become legendary. Number five, anyone can be average and mediocre, live legendary. Number six, safe is for the insecure. Robert, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Sure appreciate our time together. We hope to get you on soon and talk about your next greatest adventure. So guys, listen up. What's next, guys? What do we do? Once we set these, let me goals. say this. Let me say this. Yes. Let me say this real quick. Let me say, yeah. all you listeners out there, what I need you to do now is I need you to contact Jim, and I need you to give him three takeaways of what you thought you heard here, and where are you going to apply it, and who is going to be your accountability partner in taking these three takeaways from this podcast and help you do what you think that God's calling you to do. Get a hold of Jim and say, this is what I liked about the podcast. This is what I learned, and these three things challenge me, and I'm going to apply them to my life, and I'm asking guys to hold me accountable. So I need everybody, all 11,000 of you guys, to contact Jim and give him your feedback, and then he'll schedule other speakers to come in and talk about those same kind of things. Hey, guys, I'll also include that on my blog that will go out when this podcast is released. So, guys, make sure you head on over to my website, our website, manarena.org. Pick up your free copy of my newest book, Tell Them 
what great fathers tell their sons or daughters. And while you're there, sign up to join one of our virtual small groups that happen all around the world. Until next time, feel the wet sand on the arena floor. Hear the deafening roar of the crowd. Taste the sweetness of victory. Smell the stench of battle. Get in the game, get dirty, grind it out, and be a man. You've been listening to the Men in the Arena podcast. If you hunger to be your best version, then join thousands of men from around the world in our Men in the Arena forum on Facebook. This is the best place to have open discussions around the topic of biblical manhood. Make sure to explore our website at meninthearena.org, sign up for the weekly equipping blast, and take advantage of our many free resources designed to help you become your best version of a man. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Men in the Arena podcast. Remember, when a man gets it, Everyone wins. What type of dad are you? Guys, in my 35 years of ministry, I've noticed that guys basically fall into two categories. And in those categories, there are four types of dad or four phases that you pass through as a dad. We just dropped an amazing quiz to help you discover what type of dad you are. Find out what type of father you are and get our custom resources fit to meet the needs and the questions you are asking. Head on over to menarena.org. Join 20,000 men's from around the world and find out the type of dad you are.